This season, I have teamed up with Blue Microphones. I have been a huge fan of their products for years now. My partner actually gave me a Blue Yeti microphone for my birthday a couple of years ago, and that's what I used to record season one. So to now be working together on season two is just so great. Blue's award-winning products have helped countless podcasters, musicians, YouTube creators, and Twitch streamers find and amplify their voices. So, if you're looking to share your passion with the internet, definitely check out Blue Mics. Hello, I'm Antonia Preville and you are listening to The Most of It, a podcast where I endeavour to find the answer to one big question. How do we make the most of our lives? And in today's show, I am talking with Amanda De Winter. She is a social scientist, a success coach, and the author of The Success Code. The Success Code was published in January of this year, and in it, Amanda has honed her extensive research and ideas into four sections, ambition, learning, well-being, and resolve. Her advice is divided into practical and attainable steps that aim to inspire and guide the reader to identify their ambitions, prioritise their well-being, revolutionise their learning and ultimately prepare for success, which sounds pretty good. (laughs) The advice in this book is backed by the latest research in neuropsychology and cognitive psychology and it really aims to empower the reader to advance from their current normal by learning new skills and achieving pre-visualized goals so that they can make the most out of their lives. So uh, bang on theme there. (laughs) So whether you want to apply for a new job, pass an exam, meet some new friends or make a new habit, success can be attained and Amanda will now tell us exactly how to do it. (laughs) I hope you enjoy. Well, let's get stuck into the success code because it's a really great book and I would recommend anybody who is listening to read it for many reasons. But one of the the reasons I enjoyed it the most is because it's very practical. There's nothing abstract or airy-fairy about it. And as we'll go through it, a lot of the words and the concepts you've used, I've heard before, but in a far more abstract way dream-like way and the way you talk about these things are really practical, concrete, tangible and actionable for a very specific reason. So I I actually found the practical common sense, if you will, approach to this that you take uh, really refreshing. So I would, yeah, recommend everyone reading that. So you've divided the success code into four sections, ambition, learning, well-being and resolve. Why did you do this? Why is this the winning formula? (laughs) (laughs) So what happened was, so I probably started with about 12 different ideas and then I got it to seven and I was thinking yes this works really really well it's like the seven habits of highly successful people and seven's a really lucky number and seven you know lots of things are done in seven so I was I had seven and 
Now, this is going to make you laugh. I couldn't remember what the seven were at any one time, okay? But <laughs> Brilliant. That's, that's sort of funny in two ways because the thing is, and then I was looking at all the research on memory and, and trying to help people to learn and what is it? And I, I didn't know so much about the working memory and I really wanted to understand it more and understand how people learn. So I, I really got stuck into the memory. And what I found out is that your working memory, you can only remember three to four pieces of information at a time. And you can't make it bigger. You can't train that part of your memory to memorise more. There's lots of things you can do for memory, but not that. And I thought, well, no wonder I can't remember seven, even though it's my own book. It's literally impossible. (laughs) So I thought, but I can remember four. I know that's a really weird reason why I got it down to four, but I thought, yeah, but and also seven is a lot. I want to get it into a manageable amount. The book took a long time and it did evolve. It didn't sort of, I didn't have this structure on day one and that's how I'm writing the book. Yeah, great. Okay, so ambition is number one. Yeah. Why is this the first step? So ambition really is the whole basis of everything. If you, if you want to be successful, if you want to live the life you choose, if you want to be in charge of it all, you need to have ambition. You need to want to have a better life than you've got now. You need to have a purpose, a drive. You need to have a direction to go in. And I'm all for really stretch yourself. You know, why settle? You've got this amazing potential and you've got this life ahead of you why not really go for it and and you've read the book so you know this but the whole really go for it is in whatever way you want so I'm not saying you need to be x y or z there's no right answer you know when I talk about ambition it can be absolutely in any direction you want it to be my thing is just make it big make the absolute well make the most of it oh my god I got <laughs> there it is absolutely make the most of it in whatever direction you want to go so absolutely develop your ambition find it and develop it the thing is people do get bogged down in the detail of their life and all the obstacles and challenges that they don't they settle and they think well this is it I can barely manage and and I'm stuck in a rut and I can't think beyond that but if you can step out of that and then think no I want much more out of my life then the potential is huge. So what would you say to people who do feel a bit stuck but also just don't back themselves they don't I guess have the confidence or perhaps the willpower or the energy to think big because they just for whatever reason have pretty low expectations of their lives. What advice would you give to those people? This is where the whole thing of learning comes in. Stage two of the book is learning, but actually the whole book is learning and everything I'm talking about is learning because, so you're thinking, right, I'm not really ambitious. I'm stuck in a rut. I don't know what to do. But if you start finding out a little bit more about things, how you could live your life. Just explore a little bit. How could my life be if I just explored a bit further? What if I start watching some interesting YouTube videos, listening to some podcasts, watching different kind of, even different kind of television, reading some different books, just slowly, slowly start looking up people of interest, you know, read some biographies, just dip your toe in the water and do a little bit of thinking, what could my life be like if I just developed it a bit further? And then once you start, it's going to trigger something and you're going to think, oh, hang on a minute, there is more to life. Maybe I could do something more. You've got to pique your own curiosity. 
That's really good advice because it can feel totally overwhelming, can't it? If you're mm-hmm. like, well, okay, well, things are terrible and I know they need to change. But if it feels like almost everything <laughs> needs to change, where on earth do you start? And if it's too big, mm-hmm. well, I guess let's just not, not start at all because there's not enough hours in the day or whatever it is. You don't have enough energy in your, in your body. But yeah, if you just start exactly where you are yeah. with the resources yeah. available and take one small step, then you're yeah. already down the path, aren't you? Absolutely. And and actually interesting on that, and I haven't really thought about this before, but this is really making me think of the book. It's not a read the book and put it away and that's it. You know, I want it to be a companion for people that, as I talked about this whole patience thing, it's going to take time. You don't change your life overnight. You don't, and even if it's not changing your life, it's just developing yourself, moving in a new direction. Everything takes time. It's not a quick fix. So they do a little bit now and a little bit and a little bit, and they keep moving forward and see where it takes them next, because this is a, it's a lifelong journey. Mm. But I, the thing I would always encourage people to do is do something, don't do nothing, because doing nothing and just sitting there in your difficult situation, it's just sad because it's not going to get better or it might get a bit better because circumstances will just change, but nothing's really going to change. So just keep doing that, taking those little steps. One quote really stuck out to me. If you're in a rut, just stop thinking, start doing. You know, if you keep thinking, you can just go round and round and I can't and I'm not good enough and I don't know what to do and it's not for me. You just need to start doing something. So as it is, just read something, just watch something, just talk to someone. Talk to someone who's doing what you want to do or has a different perspective on life to you. Just do something. At work, ask to take on a different responsibility or talk to someone else at work or just do new things. Literally talk to new people will open up your mind to things. So there's times to think, but there's times to just do. Take those little steps and do it and start opening your mind up to new opportunities and new ways of thinking and new ways of talking to people. And you can absolutely be sure that by doing those few little steps and opening up your mind mm-hmm. that will lead you on to more concrete ideas about how things might change in your life. So you don't have to have all the answers already. Absolutely. In my life, honestly, things have taken a very, very long time, but there's been points in the way where I've really achieved things I've wanted to, but they've taken a long time to come together. Mm. They have. Just keep going. Yeah, that word time, because it really did strike me as I was reading that all of these exercises and new ways of thinking that you're suggesting, they take time. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a real roadblock for people? Because we are so caught up in our daily lives, the thought of actually having to go, oh, look, I actually need to stop this and take, even if it's five, 10 minutes out of my day, can feel like an enormous obstacle to get over, can't it? Yes, absolutely. I talk to people when they think, well, what's the one thing I should change first? And I'm like, it's the taking time to focus on yourself on where you're going with your life, because it's only when you do that, that you can think, what do I need to do now? So I don't want to say do too much thinking, but just you have to think for that moment, I'm going to do something for me that's going to help me in my life. Unfortunately, no one else will do it for us, will they? Such a shame. Your mum just won't (laughs) do it for you. (laughs) Well, absolutely. That's the thing. I mean, the whole thing, the book is to be a wake up call for people to say, step back take some time for you and think about it. So I like want to wave the book sometimes at people and say, just read a little bit. 
<laughs> because, you know, it'll just be that wake up call to say, yes, actually, there is more to life. There is more I can do. And this is practical things I can do to get there. Mm-hmm. One of the practical tools you talk about is a vision board, which mm-hmm. were made famous over a decade ago now by The, the Secret. And uh, this is one of the examples where how you approach these tools are very different to how they Mm -hmm. perhaps have been popularized. So vision boards, as they were talked about in The Secret, were all about manifesting. And if you just look at a picture of a red bicycle on your vision board, suddenly that will turn up in your life, which sounds great. But then people found that didn't actually quite work like that. (laughs) So I was was really um, encouraged to read your version of vision boards and how they help. Could you talk us through them? Well, absolutely. A vision board is a really good tool to use, but it is a tool to get you on the way. And the whole idea of it is you can't do anything until you've thought about it first. On the one hand, it's so obvious. And on the other hand, it's not. So my vision was to write a book and to have a book. And I did visualise holding the book in my hand. And I'm actually going to show you the book now. So, like, Aww, <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm holding the, my book in my hands and I still can't get over it. Okay? I did. And yeah. I did hold another book in my hands and I used to think, I really want to do this. And it feels a million times better to hold your own book. But the thing about it is if you visualise something that's the first step to moving towards it. If you haven't visualised it, how can you start moving towards it? You know, if you want a red bike, you have to imagine a red bike because otherwise it wouldn't even be on your radar. So you've got to put what you want to do on your radar. You have got to visualise it. You've got to think, I really want it. And, And if it's going to be hard work to get there, you have to really, really want it because if you don't really want it you're not going to put the work in. So it's a first really important step. But the problem that people have with it is they think that's all you have to do. You visualise, you visualise, visualise, and it's going to happen magically. And there is no magic. Damn <laughs> I'm it. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no. You're dashing millions of dreams, Amanda. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There's no magic. But I absolutely encourage you. Yeah, do visualise, absolutely. And um, I definitely visualised my own book and I definitely visualised holding it. That did get me going and it kept me going during times when it was really, really hard work. And I talk about, you know, dreaming big and, and really stimulating the ideas because there could be all sorts of things you could do or be or have in your life which you haven't even thought of. And then you'll get to some ripe old age and think, I wish I'd done this. So why not be thinking when you're younger? Think, have different ideas. We have very limited fields of vision because, you know, where we grew up or where we live or whatever. I didn't grow up with any authors, anyone who'd written a book or anything like that. And and I wanted to do something I didn't really know about. I didn't know how to do all that. I was very excited about having a vision and having a dream that was something outside of what I knew. And the more we can do that, the more exciting our life can be. I mean, this has been so exciting for me to do this. And it wasn't something I really knew about. So I would really encourage people to dream big, to dream outside of what you know, and to get ideas from as wide a places as possible. Do a vision board. That's your first, first step. Yeah, I love what you said. It'll inspire you to do the work as opposed Mm -hmm. to the vision board is the end in itself. It will keep reminding you of where you want to be as opposed to will 
bring you where you want to be in itself, which I think we probably always did know <laughs> when we read yeah. The Secret. You know, we're like, really, it can't be that good. But the, again, this just this is just the practical reason to create something yeah. like this. It keeps you your eye on the prize, literally. Absolutely. Moving on to the second part of your book, Learning, which obviously we've already touched on a little bit. Uh, you talk about neuroplasticity quite a bit, and I think we've probably all relatively familiar with that term. It might just be useful if you could define in your words what neuroplasticity is and how that is connected to the importance of continuing learning. So I do press-ups and my our muscles get stronger. And literally the more I do, the stronger my muscles get. So the brain is not a muscle, but the idea is the same, that the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So every time you use it, so you have a new experience or learn something new, you're literally building the pathways. You're building new connections between one part of the brain and another. And it gets stronger. And it lasts it's sort of there so, and we can do that throughout our lives and they didn't know this still quite recently so it's quite amazing and, and I, I, I talk about a study in the book where they looked at um, London taxi drivers and how there was an area of their brain when they learned all the streets of London 25,000 streets their brains actually got bigger wow. which you know is equivalent of stronger and what does it is literally learning new things so so instead of the you know what makes my arms stronger the press-ups what makes my brain stronger literally learn learning something new and that's why learning a language for example you know if you're a bit older and you learn a language it's so good for your brain because it's using your brain in a way you're not used to using every day so if we do the same thing so say when we're reading something very easy it's like me going for a walk so yeah it's a bit of exercise it's good for me but it's not pushing me and if I'm reading something easy the same thing it's it's good for me it's keeping my brain always going but it's not pushing me whereas when I challenge my brain in the same way as when I challenge how I exercise it makes the brain stronger it grows more and so it's quite remarkable. So this might sound like a really um, too simple a question but how do we choose what to learn? Ah, oh. <laughs> basically that's limitless isn't it it's totally limitless. So I, I what should we focus on though like if we know that we should be learning something it's good for us what do we what's the next step? In the book, I do have a chapter on what to learn, which throws ideas at you, just to think of all different things you can think of. So what, literally the question is limitless. So you can think, right, do I want to learn just because I want to see where it'll take me? So where do I start? And that can literally be, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to watch some YouTube videos, I'm going to listen to podcasts, I'm going to, whatever I'm going to do. So I'm going to, I don't know what I'm interested in, I'm going to literally start finding out. So all of that is great because you are learning and you're seeing where take you and then there's well should I learn something you know do I want a new qualification because I want to change career or I want to get something to show for the learning and then you might want to do a degree or a diploma or a course or something there's the informal learning there's formal learning do I want to learn a language because I want to travel more or I want to keep my brain active or do I want to learn to play bridge or do something which is sociable you know something I mean so many people learn to play bridge when they're older because it keeps their brain active and is a very sociable thing do I want to learn golf so I can go to the golf club do I want to I could go on and on. Is it a hobby? Is it for my career? Is it for to make new friends? Literally endless. I could go on and on. Yeah. Like literally. Everything you mentioned, they're all sort of normal things, aren't they? They're all really accessible, ordinary and in inverted commas things, yeah. which I think is probably quite a good 
thing to mark out that we're not talking here about doing anything out of the ordinary or really mm. highfalutin. It's all, everything no. that makes a difference is again right in front of us. And it may be you have this great ambition, you know, you want to qualify in some new career that's, you know, say you, you had a career and you wanted to become a lawyer and that does involve huge amounts of studying, whatever, but you're going to start somewhere. You're going to start doing a little bit of reading around the subject. And so wherever you want to end up, you're going to start with a little bit of learning something new and finding out about that and taking each step to get there. I love the concept and I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Is it Ikagi? Yes, I guess so. I think we need a Japanese person to okay, tell us. Okay, if we're saying this wrong, <laughs> uh, please to... forgive us. Um, I, do you know what? I've never said it out loud. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so I've we're... broken the ice for us. <laughs> Can you talk a bit about the concept of Ikagi and how that might help us direct our learning? Yeah, so that it, that is a Japanese idea and that's how you bring together what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and one other, there's a fourth bit, which I haven't got in front of me. What you might get paid for, I think. What it's you about- might get paid for, yeah. So that's right, the four things. It's a nice, simple way of thinking. For people who are stuck, what do I want to do now? What? And, and they might be thinking about changing career or their first career or whatever it is. It's a nice way of thinking about it. Um, because people do often think, oh, I want to do what I love and I want to, you know, what's my passion and that's going to be my career. But it's not as simple as that. We know life's not so easy. And we have to think about, so what do I love? But our careers, we need to serve. We need to provide a service or, or produce something. So we need to put all of that together. So what do I enjoy? What do I love doing? What will help other people? What will I get paid for? It's a lovely concept because, yeah, it's not as easy as just having a passion and going for it. And sometimes yeah. it's a delicate balance, isn't it? Because, yes, as you're saying, you want us to dream big and stretch ourselves, but following one passion one-pointedly perhaps isn't actually the way to do it because there are other things as well that might make us happy and might give up meaning in our lives that are actually more attainable. Yeah, and sometimes we have to do work, which is not what we really love. And then what we enjoy is our passion and our hobby and our interests. And we have to be practical in, in life as well. And that's one of the obstacles. Let's be realistic. We have to earn money. We have to... You know, that's all dependent on various economic factors in in what's going on around us. So we need to take all of that into account. But that doesn't mean we can't follow our passions. Mm, In some way. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk a lot about purpose on this podcast, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. You have an interesting take on learning in connection to purpose. Can you talk a bit about that? So I did used to spend a lot of time thinking about purpose and what's my purpose in life. And I I struggled with it when I was young. I did a lot of searching. And um, it's when I read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, The Penny Dropped. You know, he'd lived in the most terrible of circumstances. Uh, He'd spent uh, some of his life in a concentration camp and it was terrible. So, you know, when he speaks, you sort of... (laughs) You think, yes, you know what it's like to mm. really have been in terrible circumstances where it looks like life has no meaning. And he literally said that your purpose is whatever's in front of you right now. And the penny dropped for me. I thought, stop searching for purpose and make your purpose what you're doing now. You know, there's times when 
I might be involved doing things with my family and I'm thinking, you know what, don't be frustrated, you can't do something with your career. At the moment, your purpose is whatever this is with your family or something in my career and I'm thinking, I I feel frustrated with this. And that whole idea, my purpose right now is to get this job done and if you're learning and it's really tough at the moment and you're really struggling and you're thinking this is really hard your purpose right now is to do that learning and it just takes the whole pressure away from purpose because if you do keep thinking about how do I want to live my life and you are moving in the direction you want then everything you do is your purpose yeah it really demystifies and as you say depressurizes this very intangible, big concept mm. of purpose and am, am I going in the right direction? And I really relate personally because I feel I'm often doing something that I feel frustrated doing because it's taking me away from what I mm. actually should yeah. be doing, even though I'm not exactly sure what I should be doing, but whatever I'm doing <laughs> is not that. And yeah. that's, you know, what a way to live your life because it means you're, you're a lot of the time not present or or not really fully engaged and okay with what is happening, right, with with the activity yes. that you're in. So, yeah, it sounds like the purpose is to be present in whatever moment mm-hmm. you're in, which is a lovely touchstone. And a much simpler way to live your life. It, take, it does. It takes that pressure off. Absolutely. This episode of The Most of It is powered by Blue, the mic of the internet. If you're thinking about creating a podcast, starting a YouTube or Twitch channel, or even if you just make a lot of Zoom calls, take a minute to think about your audio quality. The Blue Yeti USB mic is the internet's most popular mic, and it's easy to see why. It's really simple to use, it delivers premium sound quality, and it even looks great too. I have been a huge fan of Blue for a long time. Not only do they make fantastic microphones that I know I can always rely on, but I also really love their values, which are all about helping people find and amplify their voices. So it's a great match for this podcast. I love how my Blue mic enables me to share my passion project with you and so do countless other creators all over the world. So if you're looking to bring pro-quality sound to whatever you do, Check out Blue, the mic of the internet. The third part of your book is about well-being, and you have a really interesting discussion about stress. So we (laughs) now live in an age where it seems like we're more stressed than ever, although I do want to ask you Mm -hmm. if that is in fact true, and that this is a very bad thing. But in fact, perhaps that's not the case. Absolutely. Newsflash. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, you really picked up on that. That's great. And and I have to say, you in you know you obviously found it. I hope you enjoyed reading that bit. But I I really enjoyed researching that bit because I learned a lot in that as well. So part three of the book is well being, and it did become its whole section of the book because it's so important. And we can't achieve success, and we can't live the life we want if we don't have well being. If we're not well, and we don't take care of ourselves, so it's really important. But this whole stress thing, I was fascinated by it because, of course, I was reading all of this about how we're living, uh, what was it, the pandemic of our age, stress is the pandemic of our age. 
actually I did have that in the book and then of course the pan real pandemic came and I had to take it out so, Damn it. <laughs> so the irony of it that was the strangest thing I had this great you know headline like and then we just couldn't use that word anymore but there, there was an article in uh one of the papers about the pandemic of our age being stress. You know, I questioned it. I thought, I can't believe that we live in the most stressful times. I mean, I've got a washing machine. I've got a dishwasher. You know, they didn't have that. You know, my great grandmother didn't have those things. You know, I don't know. I just think, I can't believe this is the most stressful time we've ever lived in. It just doesn't sound right to me. But on the other hand, we do all feel very stressed. So what's going on? There was this real dilemma. I I couldn't really work it out. So I did delve into all the research and I I read lots about it. And and what I found is that, well, two things. One is it's, it's not that we have more stress than before. It's the way we're handling it. It's actually life has got much better. So we worry about the stress more. Whereas before they were worrying about other, they were worrying yeah. how they're going to wash their clothes and they were doing dishes the whole time. Yeah, so I looked at uh, all the research. So the first thing was, it's not that these situations change. If anything, our lives have got better and easier. And also the fact that stress is not necessarily bad for us. So there was all this research which showed how bad stress was for us and it was damaging our health and it's the worst thing. And then um, researchers started looking at the fact that it actually helps us. We need some stress in our life. And, And if you think of it this way, that if you have no stress at all, you have nothing to get out of bed for. Mm. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. We would be so bored and so demotivated and we couldn't function like that. We need to have some stress in our life. Now, obviously, too much stress is not good because we're overwhelmed and we can't function. But some stress, there's a healthy, there's like the Goldilocks of stress. You know, there's just the right amount of stress. We do need some stress in our lives. It, what, it motivates us, it drives us, it keeps us functioning at a high level. It's when we have too much. So it's finding that sweet point of stress and, and going with that and not being so scared of stress. There was so much talk of stress is bad for you that people just got scared of it. And the minute they had any stress, it's like, oh, I can't cope, I can't cope. And they, yeah, they had this I can't cope attitude instead of I can cope, I can do this, I'm going to. And I talk in the book about how we can use stress for our success, how it can actually help us to achieve and do more. And that really helped me actually reading all that research on stress really helped me to not be scared of stress anymore. And and when I felt stress, to actually think, how can I use this to help me? How can I use this to propel me forward? How can I, it gives me energy to do the things I want to do. So it's really, really changed the way I think about stress in an incredibly positive way. And I, I really hope people will read that and think, yeah, this, this makes sense. And this is really helpful. And necessary. Yeah. And it also takes away the snowball effect of worrying about stress which then leads Mm -hmm. to more stress which leads to more worry which leads to more stress absolutely whereas if we feel stress we can go well I guess the question is can I cope with this level of stress Mm -hmm. I imagine there's no sort of easy answer to this but what are some of the criteria for recognizing if stress is at a manageable level or if we need to relook at things yeah stress is an alarm bell so is this stress telling me that my life's not working in which case I need to change something 
And what can I change? And if I really can't change anything, I mean, sometimes things are really stressful and you can't change them. So global pandemic, you know, everything went wrong. It's very stressful. I have to wait it out. And so that's the time to look after yourself and those around you. So nurture yourself, you know. So that's the time when you can't change the situation. I know that if I get too stressed with things I can't control, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to look after myself in these ways. And I've got my practical steps I take now. Um, But then there's other times when I feel stressed because I've got so much to do for work, maybe. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. And then I think, well, hang on a minute. You can do this. (laughs) You can do this. And this stress is helping you. And don't be afraid of it. And I'm not afraid of it anymore. And I used to be scared and think... I used to feel overwhelmed and I don't anymore. I I just think I can do this. This stress is good. That's great. Yeah, we are. We can cope with far more than we perhaps think. Yes, I think it's differentiating where you are in that cycle. I mean, if this stress is too much, it's sometimes you just need to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. How do I solve the problem? And will the problem go away when often the problem is a time deadline? Mm -hmm. You've got to have something ready by a certain time or you're... I always think the holiday things that run when you're going on holiday and everything's got to be ready and you've got to leave the door at the same time. The stress is huge. It's so huge. <laughs> Get everyone ready. Yeah. And I know I'm getting to the airport. Oh, this is like a dream because obviously we can't go away and we Aww. can't go abroad at the moment. We can't go anywhere. So I'm dreaming now. But, you know, I know that I will be at the airport at 10 o'clock and my stress is all going to dissolve at 10 a.m. And that is it. So just go with it. That might sound really silly because the stress of holiday obviously is, you know, but... No, I think I think it's a very relatable one and the feeling is the same, right? Just that sort of panic, can I get everything done? Is this going to yeah. work? And feeling really under pressure from a lot of different angles. But yeah, knowing that it's going to end. So whenever you have a deadline, the pressure is huge. Even, you know, people before a wedding day get so stressed because they have to have everything ready by then. Moving house, anything that has a deadline is very, very stressful. That stress is going to end the minute that ends. And, and so, you know, you can manage it. But that, I found that really helpful now. I, I know so much more about stress. It's, I think understanding stress is a huge way of dealing with that. Oh, it really is. That was one of the things that struck me most, actually, in terms of a new idea that I mm-hmm. didn't know about. Because a lot of what you write, which I really like, is sort of stuff that I feel is in the back of my brain and you sort mm-hmm. of knocked it into the front in this sort of yeah. great common sense way. But this was a very new idea and I think it will be for a lot yeah. of a lot of people because of how, how stress is reported on. So, it's, yeah, it's very encouraging. Um, so the last Good. quadrant of your book is about resolve, where you talk about willpower and habits and the difference between those two. So maybe we'll first talk about willpower. What is willpower? And is it something that we can work on? So willpower is literally (laughs) the will, powering yourself, willing yourself to do something. We do use willpower all the time, you know, just getting out of bed in the morning or, okay, we stop ourselves doing something, we stop ourselves eating the bad thing to eat the good thing, or we stop ourselves, we might have a thought in our head, we want to say something to someone that's rude, so we stop ourselves. We use willpower all day long. The thing is that when people think they want to do something, so I, I want to exercise more or I want to read more each day, whatever, and they need to will themselves to do it, it actually t- uses up quite a bit of energy. Mm. And the thing is that people, they're right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But they don't appreciate that actually that's using up quite a bit of energy and therefore 
it's harder than you think. And, and then they berate themselves because they didn't do what they wanted to do. But, you know, you're just being human. <laughs> it's just normal. We run out, you know, when we're tired, we don't have as much willpower. When we have done too much of the day, we don't have as much. So actually don't berate yourself. Don't think, oh, gee, I'm useless. I didn't do X, Y, Z. We just don't work like that. And that's where the habits comes in, because the more we can assign to habits and we can do without thinking about it, the less we have to rely on our willpower. And it makes it easier to live our lives and do what we want to do. And really don't beat yourself up when you can't do things just relying on your willpower, just making yourself do something. It's hard. Yeah, I found that very refreshing because I often think, oh, what? Yeah, I can, surely I can do this. I can resist this temptation. I can Mm -hmm. get out of bed early and exercise, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We're just not built like that. And are we willpower is really hard. We're not. And when we know that, we stop beating ourselves up yeah. and telling ourselves off. We, we aren't made like that. We just can't do that. Is there a way we can strengthen it, though? Yeah, we can absolutely develop it. It's like any other. So it's a skill. Willpower is a skill. And like any other skill, we can develop it. If you're used to using your willpower, it becomes easier. The more you use it, the easier it becomes, because more it becomes a natural thing to do. So we can definitely develop it, but don't go from naught to 100. So you can't be like, okay, I don't have much willpower, and then I'm going to suddenly just do everything, because you've got to build it gradually. So working on habits is perhaps an, an easier route, trying to embed habits in your life as opposed to work on willpower. I think in a way they go hand in hand, because what will happen is if you establish good habit, while you're establishing the good habits you do have to use your willpower to establish them so you're developing your willpower so it does work hand in hand and that's why I put them very much together in the book so how do we create a habit (laughs) so there's been lots of research done on habit creation you basically have to decide the habit first of all so you choose the habit you want to do and and you mentioned exercise there it could be I want to exercise in the morning and you then uh, come up with the steps of the habit so you have to say that so it's like uh, everything actually you have to take a step back and really think about it and you can't just say right I'm going to have a habit and it's going to be I'm going to exercise every morning you need to take the time out to really think about this is the habit and these are the steps so work out the steps so say it's going to be every Monday morning I'm going to exercise at eight o'clock so work out how that habit is going to work and then put in the right context so that you can develop the habit. So the habit is going to be, I'm going to make this habit easier to do. So I am going to, this is how I would do it. I'm sure you wouldn't, but <laughs> I'm going to leave my clothes out the night before. You know, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what you're trying to do is take out any decisions. So I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to see my clothes there. It's going to be easier to put them on than do something else. And then the next part of my habit is I'm going to arrange that I go with a friend. Okay. That way, if I don't go, it's more difficult than going. Because if I don't go, I've now got to message her and say, I can't go and make a whole excuse or whatever. So actually, it's easier just to go. And then I'm going to know exactly what I'm going to do. Okay, so I'm meeting my friend and I'm going for a run around the park. And this is exactly the steps it's going to take. So you have all the steps in place and you have the context so you've got the clothes ready so so you make it the easiest thing to do okay and you've done all the hard work before so that at the time of doing it you have very few decisions to make or no decisions to make you've made all the decisions beforehand because the decisions is what's the hard work mm-hmm. if you stop and think the chances are you won't do it. But if, you, if you've already decided, it's easier to do than not do. And then once you keep doing that, it will just become automatic. Is there a magic 
time frame? You know, there's a lot of, it, ta- oh, it takes two weeks, six weeks, three months. <laughs> Do we aim for a specific time or is it not really okay. that? There's a researcher, Wendy Wood, who's looked at this and she uh, did write in her book all the different times. And anyone who says it takes 21 days to form a habit or it takes X, whatever, that's not true. (laughs) So basically, um, there are averages for different habits and the more complex the habit, the longer it takes. Mm -hmm. But everyone will be different. So and it depends how religious you are about it so it's the same thing you're building the connections in the brain so it is like learning a new skill you're learning a new skill you're teaching your brain that when you do this you will do that so on Monday morning eight o'clock when I put my clothes on I will be going to the park and it will become so automatic so just like when we learn to drive and we have to really think about how we drive and, and we can't anyone talks we're like oh my goodness I can't (laughs) concentrate it was so hard it was the hardest thing yeah yeah and then when we can drive we can do it without thinking about it it just is automatic and have you ever had that feeling when you get somewhere and think how did I get here all the time (laughs) don't actually remember (laughs) all the time um that's because it's an automatic habit driving has become an automatic habit and so how long does it take it could take a month it could take three months four months but it will come a habit yeah that kind of time but there's no magic I know people do say you can form a habit in 21 days it's not quite like that it does take longer than you would like but um it will get there and the rewards will be huge once that habit is in place yeah because it totally takes away from using your willpower which gives you more energy to do other things so the rewards are huge I find even the thought quite energizing actually (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't find brushing my teeth hard at all. So maybe, yeah, exercising in the morning could be the same. That's very encouraging. <laughs> well, actually, at brushing your teeth, you know, I've started doing some exercise while I brush my teeth. Really? Well, that is yes, a good use of my time. New habit. Like squats yeah. or something? I do stretching while I'm doing my teeth because I thought I want to stretch more and yeah, when's a good time to do it? And I thought, you know what? Actually, I got that tip from someone else who said we should micro, even the smallest extra bits of exercise are good. And I thought, well, those couple of minutes I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to do some exercise. That's a really, really good idea. I think that's a very good food for thought. I also wanted to talk to you about fear. Yes. Which is something we all experience uh, every day in different ways. This really struck me, and it's it's such an easy, simple sort of sentence, but it really stuck out to me. You say, a good question to ask ourselves is, if it wasn't for fear, would I want to do this? And if the answer is yes, then we should absolutely go for it. Yeah, I just love that as a concept because it is so simple. If it wasn't for fear, would I want to do this? If yes, go for it. Why is this such an important question to ask ourselves? Because it's it's such a shame that fear holds us back. Fear is supposed to be there to stop us coming to any harm. You know, we should have fear when we cross the road and there's cars coming. We should have fear. Fear is really important to keeping us safe. We mustn't eliminate it. But what's happened is it creeps into more and more parts of our lives and then we use it to stop us doing things. And it's just a shame. And so if we can ask ourselves that question... And think, am I in danger? You know, fear is there to protect me from danger and harm. And is it going to harm me? Is it going to be dangerous for me? And if it's not, I love the feel the fear and do it anyway. Dance with fear. That was one of the uh, first personal development books I read, actually. Feel the fear and do it anyway. And, And I loved it because I thought, yeah, I do have fear, but do it anyway. 
And in the same way that stress is a natural thing to feel and that could be good for us or at least isn't necessarily harmful for us, fear is the same thing, right? Like we're going to feel it, it's uncomfortable to feel, but there's nothing inherently wrong with experiencing the sensation of fear. Yeah, very much in the same camp. They're not nice. (laughs) We don't like them, but we don't need to shy away from them. Mm. Oh, it's such good advice. Now, everything we've been talking about is how we can help ourselves. Do you have any advice for how we can help or encourage the people around us or, you know, a younger generation to get on track with their lives? You know, how how do we use the knowledge um, for other people, not only ourselves? The best way to do this is to role model it. The more we can show that, yes, I have stress, but I deal with it. Yes, I'm, I have fear and I'm not sure I want to do this, but I'm going to do it. The more we learn and show people that we're getting something out of that, just role model it. Honestly, they'll see it. They'll think, yeah, I get that. That makes sense. That looks good. So absolutely role model it. You know, even better than telling it is role modeling it. Yeah. That does really ring true to me because I think about what affects and changes my behavior and it oftentimes is how I see other people behaving and how I feel inspired by decisions someone's made or how they're living their life. And I go, oh, okay, right. Well, I want to be like that and clearly it is possible, so I'll do what they're doing. And we're social creatures, right? So this is this is how we operate. Absolutely, absolutely. And the people around us and our loved ones and everything, the more they can see us doing this, the more it will rub off on them. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I think that is a, a beautiful place to end. So thank you so much for this conversation, thank but you. also for all of the work you have put into this book, which again is just so grounded and practical and accessible that I think it will be a really refreshing read for, for anyone but also for people who perhaps have read other books in this kind of context. So thank you for all the work that you have put into that. Um, so just to, to finish these final, just little questions, you know, yes. <laughs> not a lot in them. <laughs> so what is the most significant lesson that you have learned? I would say that I am capable of much more than I realised a great answer. I have achieved much more than I would have ever thought I could and I was capable of. So I've definitely learned that. Amazing. And what is a lesson that you still have to learn? I'm going to cop out here and say, I don't know. And the reason is, is that I'm very much of the camp that you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's why you've got to keep learning because you don't know what you don't know. So until you start learning things, does that make sense? Absolutely. No, I don't know what I've got to learn. I know there's so much left to learn and so much I want to learn. And I'm sure there's so much to learn, but I don't know what it is yet. So that's why I keep learning because then I'm going to think, God, I really need to know that. So I'm very open to my next lesson and I don't know what it is yet. Beautiful. So the final question, Amanda DeWinter, how do we (laughs) make the most of our lives? Well, this does bring me to the last chapter in my book. And the last chapter is values for success. So they are have courage, be grateful, be optimistic. And the final one, which I think is the best one for making the most of your life, is to take personal responsibility. So if you want to make the most of your life, take personal responsibility. Only you can do this. Only you can put in what it takes. Only you can choose it. So take personal responsibility. 
That is such good advice. Thank you so much. You've given us so much to think about, so much food for thought. So thank you very, very much. And I look forward to your next book. (laughs) Yes, which I am writing. Oh, you are? (laughs) Yes, I am. Great. I am writing my next one. um, And that's a huge challenge. I can't believe I've started, but yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been absolutely lovely and uh, a pleasure to meet you. You too. Thank you so much. So there we go. There's so much food for thought in there. And I love how all of Amanda's ideas are really accessible and logical. And we just kind of have to commit to doing it if we want to make changes. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, it would be great if you could please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as then other people will also know that we are here. And thank you so much to my producers, The Raw Collective, for doing what you do so well. Till next time.